This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from PhotoBizX, and welcome to this episode of the Photography Experiment Podcast. This is episode number 29 in the series, and today's special guest is Ashley Jones from the organization Love Not Lost. Ashley is a photographer, and sadly, she and her husband lost their daughter a few years ago. And going through that tragedy and experiencing that loss, you'll hear is what led her to start this new organization where photographers get out and photograph other families facing grief in their life. More from Ashley in just a second. Before we get into the interview, I need to say two big thanks. The first one goes to Stephanie Finnamore for recommending Ashley as a guest for today's episode. And secondly, I need to say a big thanks to Imagine AI for sponsoring and making this episode possible. If you are not familiar with Imagine AI, be prepared to be totally blown away. This is desktop software that does your post-processing for you and it learns your editing style. I kid you not, this is absolutely incredible. Your edits will come back after a shoot within minutes of uploading them to Imagine AI and the finished edits will look like you've done them yourself. (laughs) It is mind-blowing stuff. I'm going to share more about Imagine AI a little later in the episode. Let's get into the interview with Ashley. Today's guest is the driving force behind Love Not Lost. It's an organization supporting people in grief and helping people heal by connecting portrait photographers with families facing a terminal diagnosis. Now, Ashley, through Love Not Lost, is on a mission to revolutionize the way we heal in grief by preserving memories for those they love, at no cost to them. And Ashley and her husband have endured the same grief when they lost their beautiful daughter, Skylar. Their friends gifted them a portrait session to help preserve her memories. And at the time, Ashley didn't realize how powerful these photos would become. They gave her a way to hold on to her baby girl. Now, I'm going to let Ashley take the story from here. I'm happy to say that she's with me right now. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Nice, nice. Look, before we get right into your story, can you just give us a little idea about Love Not Lost and what it actually is? Yes, it's a nonprofit organization in the United States of America with a vision to get to a global level. And our mission, like you said, is to revolutionize the way we heal and grief and The main reason for that is because grief is something we all experience. It's universal, it's human, it's a part of life. And so as we experience losses throughout our lives, we want people to feel loved and supported. And currently in our society, um, unfortunately, it's just not common, right? We don't talk about grief. There are a lot of misconceptions about grief. You know, it's easy to get distracted and disconnected from ourselves and each other. And so our vision is is to really help people connect and heal. Nice. But when you say there's misconceptions about grief, like what does that mean? Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard a lot of, and actually when my husband and I lost our daughter, you know, we were given pamphlets on the five stages of grief. We were given books on, you know, people's stories and stuff like that. And what was interesting was when I started Love Not Lost, 
and I really dove into grief research, I realized that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's the doctor who came up with the five stages of grief, she actually came up with the five stages of grief after studying people facing their own death. So those stages are meant for people facing their own death, not for the general public. And what happened was because her research was such a breakthrough, people took those five stages of grief because they gave common language to the emotions that we were feeling and they blanket applied them to all loss and grief. And that's just not, that wasn't the intention. And it's actually done a huge disservice because in thinking that there are five stages of grief, if you miss one, or if, you know, you go out of order, you think you're doing grief wrong, but there's not a wrong way to do grief, right? Like there's a healthy way to function and an unhealthy way to function. But the way that we grieve is so unique to us and, you know, emotions just come and go and they can come all at once and they can come in, you know, one at a time. And so I just like, that was one of the biggest things that was like an aha moment of, oh my gosh, we've been doing this wrong, you know, and and we don't have accurate information to help us. So did you and your husband, did you feel like you went through those five stages, but in a different order, or they just didn't apply at all? Because I mean, I haven't gone personally, I haven't suffered grief like you have, mm-hmm. and not with someone so close. But the grief that I have experienced, I could see how those five steps do relate. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't exist. Absolutely. They still exist in different ways, but I think in calling them five stages of grief, something else that happens is that people think that they're linear. Like there's a progression through the five stages as if, you know, this is the journey we go through and grief is like a hurricane and a tornado and, you know, all the natural disasters all (laughs) wrapped into one where, you know, it's, it's just, um, again, it's so unique to the individual who's experiencing it. And there is no natural progression, you know, our bodies are designed to heal and they want to help us heal and they'll go through whatever they need to go through to heal. And that looks so different for everybody because each of our bodies are unique, let alone the individual circumstances of grief. So to your point, you know, asking if, if we went through those stages because Skylar was facing a terminal diagnosis, I do feel like the grief leading up to her death was more in line with the five stages because we were facing a terminal diagnosis and there was an end point. Her death was the end of those stages of, you know, the anger, the bargaining, you know, the acceptance, those things that she talks about. And so I I do feel like I had some of that leading up to her death, but the aftermath was not at all in the five stages realm. Just totally different or just not related to them at all? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, um, there were a couple of things. So one, it was, it was such a devastating loss. You know, we held her as she took her last breath and that was like in those moments and in the days following, it was like, how on earth is my heart still beating? Like, how am I still breathing? How can I possibly live on without her? And then it became more of you know, that, I mean, I feel like the first year was just this raw grief and it was me trying to figure out how to survive. You know, I had been, um, 
in loss, it's like you just get hit so hard that you go into survival mode. And so you can't really think about anyone else. And it's just focusing on yourself and and what you need to carry on and heal. And so, yeah, I mean, and that's where the photos for us kind of tie back into love, not lost of, you know, a friend had gifted us a portrait session with our daughter, Skylar. And in that raw grief, I realized that like, the tools that people were giving me weren't actually helping me because I'm a doer. So like, I want something to do, like, give me a list, give me a process, give me something to check off. Like I'll do it. I'll get it done. And there wasn't anything like that for grief. And it bothered me because I was like, I just want to get through this and get to the other side. And I'm okay, you know, not using medication and I'm, I'm good feeling all of it, but I need to know what to do with all of these emotions and these feelings. And those photos were such a gift because they allowed me to really sit with those feelings and emotions that were coming up to really feel them and to just acknowledge like, man, this is, this is so intense, but I'm, I'm getting through it in each moment. and. And every day was different. So some days I would sit with those photos and just ugly cry with snot pouring out of my face and just like heaving sobs. And then other days it was just like telling her how much I missed her, you know, and showing those pictures to people who hadn't met her before. And, you know, they just like gave me such a tangible way to interact with my feelings and my relationship with Skylar, because the thing about grief is that it's just love in another form. And so, you know, my love for Skylar will never go away. And therefore my grief will never go away either because I can't get her back. But I found that it doesn't always have to be so painful and feeling those emotions and letting them come up and out really helped me heal that kind of like raw grief pain where I just felt my world was collapsing, you know, and I was able to, you know, with the love and support of others in addition to feeling all of those feelings, I was able to start picking up some of those shattered pieces of my heart and learning how to rebuild. Mm. How long ago was this? 10 years ago. Wow. Okay. And do you have other children? Are you still married? I am still married. (laughs) Remarkably. It does take a huge toll on a relationship. And my husband and I have worked through some really, really low points and we are still married. We don't have any other children. So the condition that she had is genetic. And so it's called spinal muscular atrophy or SMA for short. And it's very similar to Lou Gehrig's disease. There is a treatment, but there's still no cure. And at the time that we had her, there was no treatment even. And so, yeah, one in 40 people are carriers. Most unknowingly, my husband and I are both carriers and we had no idea. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, every child we have has a significant chance of having SMA as well. So we've just decided to kind of say no and tie our tubes and, you know, potentially adopt in the future, but we're in no rush. Sure. Sure. And the reason I ask about your marriage and other kids is because first of all, I think the listener will be wondering the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I know that when you were talking about going through that grief process, particularly that first year, like you said, you have to focus on yourself and getting through that. And I'm sure your husband went through the same thing and it must be really difficult not to, um, I don't want to say blame each other, but to get in each other's way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I've, I've spoken with so many moms who have other kids when they lose a child and it's like, you know, it's challenging either way. And it's really hard to compare situations because it's so different. Like I was able to lay in bed and not get out of bed until like my dog needed to go out and just like be depressed and lay around the house and not have to take care of anyone else. Right. Like I didn't have that responsibility, but in being alone, yes, I didn't have kids to take care of, but also like kids can be such a beautiful distraction to like really pull you back into the present to say like, I need you right now. Like I need you to feed me. I need you to change me or whatever it is. And they can pull you back in that, that present to, to function again. And so, but at the same time, like when you need to just like lay and do nothing, like there's a kid needing you, you know, and sometimes multiple kids. And, and I, you know, I I think it's hard no matter what situation you're in. For sure. For sure. With the photos that you were gifted by your friends, I'm guessing they were, I'm assuming they were with a professional photographer. Mm -hmm. And so how long before Skylar's passing were they taken? So the first session we had was when she was like, I want to say six months. And then when she made it to a year, so the doctors told us we would likely not see her first birthday. And when we made it to a year, the photographer that we had wanted to come back and do another session for us. And so we ended up doing that session when she was 16 months old, but she was having a bad day and was like (laughs) not feeling well and just kind of cranky. And so it was it was kind of sad because we didn't get any smiles out of her or anything. And then she passed away at 21 months old. And so, so yeah, so we have those two sessions and then we actually had a, another session early on when she was three months old because she had to go through her first surgery and the doctors basically told us that we can't guarantee that she's going to come out alive because she's such a fragile baby. And so I just asked a friend who does photography as well to just come over and do a few photos in case she doesn't make it out of surgery. Like I wouldn't have anything. And so we ended up with three total professional portrait sessions of our family together, which is just such a gift. Nice. So I I know I feel strange asking this question, but so you have three photo sessions. It sounds to me like the middle photo session was the best one. As far as the photos go, she sounded like she was happy. The photos are great. Everything was looking good. So are they the ones you gravitate towards now? Yeah, the three-month ones were also beautiful. And she was so happy then. And yeah, so those earlier sessions are the ones that like I have printed on my wall, you know, and like framed in my house. But there were some really sweet moments in that the third session that the photographer captured who, you know, moments where she was like fussy and I was trying to console her and like would just lean down and kiss her face or you know, because she was fussy, we ended up just, we kind of took a picture of all of our feet together because this is kind of weird, but I have really weird toes. (laughs) And so like, like most people have like this pretty arch of toes that like go down in a nice, pretty arch. And like all of my toes are like straight across and then it drops down to my pinky toes. So I have like very square looking toes. And the joke was Skylar looked so much like my husband that I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't even tell that she's my daughter because she's like a spitting image of my husband, except for her toes. <laughs> and so 
we took this picture of our, our feet lined up together because we all have like long funky toes. Um, <laughs> so good. But yeah, so like, so there are still some like really beautiful moments from that third session. And I think too, you know, and we tell this to the families that we serve, oftentimes it can feel almost wasteful to do a session so close to death because you're like, I'm never going to look at these photos or like this person is so far gone from what I want to remember them by, or, you know, how they're not feeling good and and all of that. But honestly too, like the photos, even the ones that I took of Skylar as she, you know, was 19 months old and 20 months old as she was really like nearing the end, they really helped me see her suffering. And they're not like pleasant to look at. They're not the ones that I frame, but they do help me like let go of any guilt or, you know, shame of like, well, maybe we should have pushed a little harder, or maybe we could have done this to keep her around a little longer, or maybe we could have, you know, what if maybe, what if, what, you know, and it it really helps me see like the progression of her condition. And it really brings me peace, honestly, to see that she was suffering and now she's not, you know, and that's, that's comforting in a, in a strange way. No, I understand that. Again, I don't want to draw parallels, but, you know, we recently lost our dog, Mm -hmm. you know, which we'd had for 10 years and she got very sick at the end. She couldn't walk with the back legs. And Mm -hmm. I have to remind my wife, Linda, who was closest to Roxy, that it's best that she's gone now because she was so ill that she doesn't remember those those moments. Right. Yeah. And he remembers the good times. Yeah. And it, it's easy to convince yourself that everything was okay in the end. You know, it's like, yes, like you don't want to remember the bad times. And so you block those out. And I, yeah, I agree. Like a pet loss is super significant. Like my dogs have always been a part of my family. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really hard. And I think, you know, you, we do question and we don't remember everything accurately. Yeah. And the photos help show the accuracy of our memories you know sure now you're a photographer yourself aren't you like did you have a photography business I did I did so I had a a wedding and portrait business that I actually started after Skylar died I had been doing graphic design web design and development before that and had been doing photography on the side for a long time but when Skylar was diagnosed I was her full-time mom and caregiver for 19 months. And then she died at 21 months old. And when she died, it was like, okay, I have all this time again. So I could go back to work, but I'm such a mess, you know? So like, I don't think there's any company that would hire me right now because I'm just such an emotional wreck. And so, so really it was just like, well, I think this is the best time more than ever than, you know, to start my own business and to give me that motivation to get out of bed. And so I started that, but then anytime I heard of anyone facing a terminal diagnosis, I would volunteer to do a portrait session for them free of charge. And, you know, just started doing that more and more until, you know, it evolved into love, not lost, which is funny because my husband I was giving everything away. So I was, I was doing like prints for people, canvases, books, like whatever I thought their family could use and would be helped by, I would give it. And my husband came to me and was like, I love your giving heart, but you have got to stop. (laughs) And I was like, I hear you. Like, I know we can't afford this, but 
Like I'm also not charging them a single penny, you know, and if I'm willing to give it all away, I think I can find other people who want to help me give it all away. And so that's what led me to start Love Not Lost. Fantastic. So you've actually been through the experience of photographing couples oh, or yeah. families that are grieving or about mm-hmm. to grieve significantly. Yeah. So you start Love Not Lost. How like so how do you start well, how do you start a business like that? Do you advertise for photographers? Yeah. I do not recommend starting a nonprofit if you can help it. It is very complicated, expensive and all the things. But for us, I knew it was the right path and there really wasn't another organization doing what we're doing. And so I just like, you know, pulled up my bootstraps and started filling out paperwork and all of that. And then honestly, for the first year I photographed, I think we served 15 families that first year and I photographed all of them. And it wasn't until the second year that we were able to hire someone part-time And then I started bringing on photographer volunteers that we would train just like for grief and empathy. And like, they're already professional skilled photographers, but we were kind of like training on the soft skills and yeah. And so we just, you know, reached out to people we knew. Um, There are a couple other photography organizations like shoot proof is a gallery company that does amazing work. And, you know, they highlighted us in their blog you know, we were able to get some free press early on that really helped us reach out to people. So that was great. Nice. So in the early days when you started Love Not Lost, so you were still photographing. So you were looking, I guess, for donations then to help pay for the products. Yep. Right. Okay. So is that how it still is today or is it, has it developed and yeah. changed? Yeah. Well, so Love Not Lost has grown a lot in lots of ways. So from the beginning, we were very grassroots. So on what would have been Skylar's sixth birthday, I gathered our closest friends and family who had really walked through the thick of it with us and told them, I was like, look, you know, her birthday is normally a super depressing day for me, but I have this vision and I really believe that we can help people and bring healing to people. And I need to raise $6,000 in honor of her sixth birthday so that we can get a website and a promo video out into the world and really start serving people. And so everyone rallied and shared it on social media and we raised $6,000 that day. So that was November 19th. And then January 1, we launched the website and you know our first two applicants came in within the first month and it was like, you know, we were off. And so from the beginning, we've always been very much community driven. So most of our donors are individuals. And as we've grown, we have been able to get some grants and we have a a wonderful partnership with a hospital called Northside Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And they are one of our biggest funding partners. But yeah, we still are pretty much 70% funded by individuals and then 30% funded by that like community grants or corporate sponsorship. So yeah, so we're still growing in that regards and we've launched some new initiatives too. So we have a a monthly giving community that when we launched, we called them the foundation builders because they were truly building our foundation. But then when we survived 2020, we realized like a huge part was because of our monthly givers, like truly, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here today. 
And so we realized like our foundation is pretty solid. So they've done their job. They've built the foundation. So we rebranded it and now it's called the Heartbeat. And our monthly givers who are part of the Heartbeat community are, I mean, they're just amazing people. And we have a quarterly Zoom call with everybody. You're giving anniversary gifts in the mail, you know, exclusive stories, stuff like that. And it's, it's just really fun. So that's been a fun way that we've grown as well. So these are people that are donating cash ultimately each month mm-hmm. to keep this nonprofit going. Yep. We have people giving $5 and $200 a month, you know, so a photo album is $250. So, you know, that's something too, that like, if you give $25 a month, like you're sponsoring an album for a family each year, Yes, you know, yeah. if you give, I think it's like $85 a month, then you're sponsoring a full of not lost experience for a family each year. So that's pretty cool. And so, you know, we started with the photography program and another way that Love Not Lost has grown is we've actually added two additional programs to our nonprofit. And how that came about was, you know, I was serving these families and sitting with them and listening and just hearing their hearts and their struggles and their pain. And so many people had similar stories of friends and family just disappearing, you know, community falling away. And people feeling so alone and isolated. And it was like, wow, you know, so that was happening. And then I would speak. And as Love Not Lost grew, I was invited to speak and still speak at conferences and online summits and corporate events and stuff like that. And without fail, every single time I would speak, there would be at least one, if not a line of people ready to talk to me to to share their story, but then also ask me what they can do to help. Like, my neighbor lost a baby. What do I do? Or my coworker lost his dad. How do I support him? You know? So I was like, okay, all these people want to help, but they just don't feel empowered and they don't feel confident to show up. And then all these people over here are hurting and desperately need people to support them. So how can we bridge that gap? And that actually led me to create this support card. That was a postcard. And on the front side, it said, how can I love you better? because that's the driving question of love, not lost. And then on the backside, it said, you know, I see you're going through a tough time. I really want to show up for you. And it had check boxes of like, what can I do to help you bring you a meal, take you to coffee, sit and talk, give you a hug. This was all pre COVID of course. And so we had these check boxes and then we had some blank ones where you could customize your own. So you could either like hand it to someone and they can mail it back, or you can mail it to someone and they could send it back or give it back to you. And so We actually partnered with a digital agency in Atlanta to turn that into an online form. So if you go to howcanilloveyoubetter.com, it's the same functionality with the checkboxes, but because it's digital, we actually added a calendar plugin. So, you know, I could say, Andrew, I see you're going through a tough time. I really want to show up for you. What can I do for you? I can order dinner for you and have it delivered to your door. I can do your yard work or whatever it is. And then you would get that list and pick which one sounds good to you. And then you would say with the calendar plugin, select the day and time that you would want me to do that thing. And so I, you could say, hey, if you could bring me lunch Friday at noon, that would be amazing. And I'd be like, done. So it really promotes like actual follow through instead of like oftentimes the go-to phrase is this empty, like, let me know if you need anything. 
And it's like, that's not actually helpful. And it typically never gets followed through on. So that was one thing we wanted to do. And then we have a line of empathy cards. We have a couple other things that we're working on. We're actually in the midst of a capital campaign to raise money to turn howcaniloveyoubetter.com into a full-blown grief support app, which we're really excited about. So that's, that's the community support program. And then the third program is our corporate care program, where we want to bring grief and empathy training to the workplace to create cultures of caring. Because at the same time, I would hear people, families that we were serving, tell me that they were worried about losing their job or they did lose their job because of their situation. You know, I would have corporate leaders saying, one of our team members just lost their spouse. What do we do? And so it was the same disconnect, right? Where like people wanted to help, but then people were also suffering. And so how can we bridge this gap? And so we created the corporate care program and launched a, what was supposed to be an in-person workshop called Heart at Work on March 6th of 2020. (laughs) So it was kind of a disaster. We got one off. Bad timing. I know we got one off before the world shut down. And so we filmed everything and we're launching it as an online course later this year. Nice, nice. I mentioned earlier that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Imagine AI. And if you hadn't heard about this desktop app, you absolutely need to check it out. And I'll tell you exactly who it's for so you know if this will be a good fit for you. Are you the kind of photographer who wishes you didn't have to do your own post-processing or maybe you've thought about outsourcing but aren't real happy with the cost involved. Maybe you've thought about hiring a VA but you don't have the time, the energy or the know-how to find a good VA and then have the time and energy to train them. Maybe you've thought about hiring staff to do your editing for you but the costs are just prohibitive. Well, (laughs) this software could be your answer. So the way it works is you upload a series of your images via a Lightroom catalog to Imagine AI. The artificial intelligence, the algorithm, learns your editing style from your edited images that you've uploaded. And then once it has learnt your style, any other job that you upload gets edited in your style and sent back to you within minutes. Like it's incredible. Now, you will have to do a little bit of tweaking as you're fine tuning these edits. But the really cool thing is as you make any fine adjustments, you re-upload those images to Imagine AI and the software continues to learn your editing style. So it learns and gets to know you more the more you upload for it to do your editing for you. Like this is space age crazy stuff. Like it's incredible. You do have to be a Lightroom user because the software integrates with Lightroom or Capture One. There's also a free trial available. And if you don't have your editing style, you know, at a place where you want it to be yet, you can use or choose someone else's editing styles from Imagine AI to give it a try yourself as you develop your own editing style. Now, it's important to understand that these are not presets. And it's also not a replacement for your editing software because these are going to come back to you with, you know, 80 to 90% done for you post-processing. You probably will want to do a couple of little tweaks once they come back. But your post-processing time will be cut to a fraction of the time that it usually is. Now, if you want to learn more 
about the software, head over to photobizx.com forward slash AI. So it's photobizx.com forward slash AI. Give it a try. And I, I, I can't stress enough, you will be blown away. And let me just finish off by reading a review from a previous interview guest of mine, Kristen Karkoska of Blue Sky Studios, left for Imagine AI. She says, after trying it, after hearing Ron and Yotam, the founders interviewed on PhotobizX, Kristen tried the software and she says in her review, wow, is all I can say about Imagine AI. I'm a portrait photographer that specializes in family, high school, senior, and corporate photography. I was a little intimidated when I heard you had to upload thousands of images to create a custom profile with Imagine AI, but it was easy. All you do is pick several Lightroom catalogs that have already been edited to upload. Then you wait one to two days and Imagine AI creates a custom profile for your images. Then each time I do a session, I cull the images, create a new Lightroom catalog, and upload that Lightroom catalog with the Imagine AI software. Now here's where it gets really cool. She says, literally three minutes later, all my Lightroom edits are completed. <laughs> I hit one button and my old Lightroom catalog is replaced by the new one with all the edits. She goes on to say, my very first download was close to perfect. I made some small adjustments and then resent the catalog to Imagine AI so that the software could continue to learn my style. This is going to be a game changer in my business. So that was Kristen Karkoska of Blue Skies Studio. So again, go and check it out for yourself. That's all I can say. photobizx.com forward slash AI for more details. Let me bring you back, Ashley, to photography and on the photography side of the organization. Who are the photographers now? Is it any photographer in the U.S. that wants to volunteer? Yeah, so right now we are in the state of Georgia. And so that's where we're accepting volunteers and applicants from. But if you're interested in volunteering, what really helps us is if you go ahead and apply to be a photographer, and you can do that on the website. I think the word is sign up in the menu. and you can scroll down and you'll see photographers and there's an application page. And if you fill that out, what that helps us do is figure out where we have the most support to go next. Mm -hmm. So as we look to scale the new cities, if we have 50 photographers in New York and we only have five in Florida, like we're probably going to go to New York, you know what I'm saying? So that really helps us. If you're interested in volunteering, it might be years before we can get to you, but If you let us know, we'll get in touch with you when we do get to your city, if you go ahead and apply, and that will also just really help us gauge interest. So if this sounds like something you'd like to do, we really have it open to photographers who are comfortable with posing groups of people and are familiar with off-camera lighting, because there are lots of situations where we're in dark rooms and you don't get the privilege of beautiful natural light. (laughs) And so... As long as you're comfortable posing groups of people and can, you know, utilize off-camera lighting, then go ahead and apply. We'd love to, we'd love to meet you. Nice. So with the photographers that come on board or the ones that are on board now, do they need some kind of grief counseling? Do they need to have some training beforehand or have they already gone through some kind of grief? Is that why they're offering their services? Oftentimes we found that photographers who volunteer do have some sort of lost story, not all of them, but I would say like maybe 70 to 80% of them. 
but there's no need for training. Like there's no requirement to have your own counseling or training. Like we obviously support that. Like I think everyone should have a counselor. (laughs) I have mine. So I think that's really important. However, it's definitely like a come as you are, and we will teach you what you need to know to take care of yourself. So we provide a weekend long retreat to really train people on the values of love, not lost and why we exist, you know, mindful communication and self-awareness and self-care, because those are the things that help you get through these really tough times. And then understanding too, like what grief is and what grief isn't. And then how do you enter into situations and not take on other people's pain as your own, you know, keeping healthy boundaries, but also stepping in with empathy and kindness and care to really love these families well. And so we, I mean, we truly have like a whole weekend retreat planned out for photographers and every photographer, that's a requirement. So you have to go through that before you step foot in front of a family. Right. So let's say I'm part of the program. I've been through this weekend of training. Do you or one of your team call me and say, Andrew, we've got a family with a sick child. We'd love you to go and photograph. Is that the way it works? And do I get a rundown of what the story is? Yeah. It's, so before you ever step foot, so first off, we always send our photographers out in pairs. So that's really important. That's a distinguishing piece of how we operate. And again, going back to the driving question of how can we love people better? Like we ask that of like, how can we love our photographers better? You know, like how can we love our donors better? How can we love our board members better? So, you know, and asking how can we love our photographers better? That's where that training comes from. And also choosing to send people out in pairs, because not only do you have, you know, safety and numbers and accountability and just that camaraderie of like, you're not alone in this. But also you have, you know, an extra set of hands to help you with equipment. You have an extra person and personality that can connect with people while you're photographing and kind of just be a second set of eyes to watch for details. So it really is just a beautiful thing. So there's always a lead photographer and then a helper photographer. For each job? For every session. Mm -hmm. Right. So the lead photographer is the one with the camera and they're the ones who are leading the session. The helper is just that they're there to help in whatever way they can, whether it's lighting, equipment, carrying things. It might be carrying the lead photographer's equipment. It could be carrying the mom's purse with all the toys and blankets and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then really like throughout the session, taking behind the scenes shots just on an iPhone or something can be really helpful. But the primary purpose is just for them to help and to, to love the family and, and step in in any situation, however they can. So the photographers go out in pairs. And then the other thing, you know, is that there's for any new person starting out, you will always be a helper first and you will always be helping myself or one of, we have two other trainers who train the photographers. and so you'll always be going with a trainer first as the lead. And then your second session, if you're ready to take on the lead, you'll be a lead and whoever trained you will be your helper. And so there will always be that like safety blanket starting out until you feel comfortable where you're like, okay, I'm ready. And if you're like, Hey, I need another training session. Great. Like the trainer will go out with you. Not a problem. 
And so that's something like we really, really, really believe in supporting our people and loving people well. And so that's like one of the ways that we do that. Got it, got it. Let's say I'm the lead photographer and I let's say I have a distinctive style like we all like to think that we do. <laughs> and do I get to photograph the family in my style or am I shooting to a, a strict, like a set of guidelines for love not lost? So we don't have a set strict guidelines or requirements. Because we do design a book for every family that we serve, we do ask the photographer, keep in mind the album design when taking photos. So if everything is like posed the same with the same background, like that's not going to be a beautiful album, right? It's just going to look the same page after page. So we do try and ask the photographer to like think about, you know, like a tight middle wide composition, um, details, changing up posing and groupings and really like storytelling, because that's really at the end of the day, what we want to give the family is this beautiful, like, yes, we want you to photograph in your style because that's what drew us to you and accepting you as a photographer, but also like egos are out, right? Like it's not about you. It's not about your style. It's really about capturing these memories for these families and giving them this beautiful story that they can treasure for the rest of their lives. And so you do you for sure in your style and skill, but also like design for the album in mind, because at the end of the day, we're ultimately doing this for the family's memories. Got it. Got it. So let's say I get chosen to go and photograph this particular family. So it could be outdoors or indoors, couldn't it? Depending on the, the state of the, the person who's sick. Correct. Okay. And then, and I know that what I need to capture so I can do this storytelling and get the kind of book that we want the family to have. Do I also get a rundown of the family situation, the dynamics, or it, that doesn't matter? Yes. No, no, you absolutely do. Mm-hmm. So when the family applies, we get like a basic kind of, overview of what's going on. And then we have a staff member call the family to really hear their full story. And during that conversation, our staff member is taking notes and, you know, getting all the details to give to the lead photographer. The lead photographer is the one who actually calls the family back to set up the exact time and location because it's really important for us that lead photographer and the family build a relationship before someone shows up at their door. So you're not just like inviting a complete stranger into your home. You've at least talked to them at, you know, minimum one time on the phone. And are they, like, I guess I'm curious, do you go into as much detail about the illness? Because I'm thinking if, if the photographer has been through this themselves with their family somehow, mm-hmm. if it's too close to home, do they ever say, actually, this one's too close to home for me? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's something that we go through in the retreat. So we go through all of those details in the retreat and we give people permission to say no. We give people permission to fail. You know, it's like, you don't have to be perfect. And like, we are all human, you know, and we all feel things. And, you know, if something's too close to home, say no, and it's okay. And there's no judgment and no disappointment on our end. And so again, it's like, how can we love people better? Like we want to support our photographers because they're giving their time and their talent and their heart to serve these families. And so we really do want to love them well. And it doesn't serve anybody to force someone into a situation where they're not okay with it, you know? And so that's something 
our staff members get really familiar with um, our photographers and they'll ask each photographer, especially depending on their style. Like if you're a documentary photographer, you might not be okay going on a newborn session because those are so different. So we find out that too of like, well, what's your preference? What do you like taking pictures of? And then we try and be mindful when we're matching photographers with families too. And like, if we have a photographer who lost a loved one to cancer. And so that's a conversation we had with her and was like, are you okay on going on sessions with cancer patients? Like, is that going to be triggering for you or is that going to be therapeutic for you? And, and oftentimes like we find that, that most people are, are willing to enter into their pain because they know that there's an opportunity for healing when you do that. And so channeling that pain into purpose can be really beautiful. For sure. I'm guessing the photographers in most cases build a very strong connection with the families they photograph. I know I would. So what happens after the session? Do I just drop my cards into you? Do I upload the Dropbox? And do I get to see the finished album or products that the family is going to be receiving? Great questions. So the way it works after a session is we actually send out an email with a WeTransfer link to upload your raw images. And then we actually have a a partnership with the image salon for all of our editing so that every one, again, how can we love our photographers better? We know most people don't love editing. (laughs) Some people do, but most people don't. And it's really like a pain point too for timeline. You know, people, it's so easy to procrastinate on editing. And so that was something we were like, we can take that off our photographer's plates and that's incredible. And so the image salon was like, just such a phenomenal partner. And so we get the photographers to upload their raw images. We upload those, you know, like we'll cull through them and, you know, get those narrowed down. And then we give them to the image salon. The image salon edits them based on our style preferences and styles that we've already worked out with them, presets. And then they send them back to us. And then another partner that we have is ShootProof. And so we upload those images into ShootProof for their full image viewing and just sharing for galleries for the family that they can easily share with their friends and family. And then also they can download the digital images and we do give them the high-res images. And then we design the photo albums and we ship them to the families. So unfortunately, we don't even get to see the finished product because as soon as they're printed, they're shipped straight to the family just for the sake of time. So that's something like when a family that we serve does show their photo album on social media and they, you know, capture their reaction to it. It's such a beautiful gift. And so we love sharing that when it happens, but it's kind of rare, which is understandable. And so unfortunately we don't get to see that reaction when people see their album and we really don't get to see a lot of the finished albums but we do know they're making an impact because we do have families report back to us on like how they've used it and how special it is and stuff like that. So, and then just for clarification too, if anyone's curious, like love not lost maintains the copyright to all of the imagery. And we ask photographers not to post them on their website or their personal platforms because just out of respect for the privacy of the family, like they don't give permission for that. Right. Okay. That was going to be one of my questions. I was curious about that because I'm guessing some photographers, well, a lot of photographers would like to blog or talk about this pretty special session, but actually, so they can't do that or they would need to get express permission from the family. 
Yeah, it's kind of like a family by family case right now. So if a photographer, basically like if we share the photo on our blog, the photographer is absolutely welcome to reshare that and be like, hey, these were my photos. Right. But right now they're not allowed to post them directly on their own blog. Sure. I guess that becomes a bit of a minefield coordinating all that and managing that. Yeah. And just legally too, it's, you know, a lot. Yeah, for sure. So when the families post to their social media profiles, do you ever see the photographers chiming in and, you know, and just making a comment or have they made that kind of a connection or usually it stops once they leave the family? That's also a case-by-case basis. So there are families that I still keep in touch with to this day. That you photographed. Uh Uh-huh, that I photographed. Right. And it's just such a beautiful, like when that connection does happen, it can be so beautiful and you don't want to like just leave and never talk to them again, you know? And so that's something that we address in the retreat as well, is we talk to all of our photographers and say like, we don't require anything. So if you just want to take the photos and then leave and never speak to them again, that's okay. Because we're like, our staff is following up with the family. So they're not going to be like left to dry. They're still going to have love and care and attention from our staff. But if you did feel a connection and you want to continue that relationship and just check in on them and, you know, ask how they're doing or follow up with them for any reason, like that's very much encouraged if people want to do that. But again, there's no expectation of it. Love it. I love it. Ashley, it sounds amazing what you've built, what you've created, and what a lovely legacy to Skylar as well. Does it feel like that to you that that is the legacy to Skylar? Is that, I mean, because this is how this was born, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, Love Not Lost very much feels like my second child, you know, and it does. It, it helps keep her alive. And it's really beautiful too, because when I show up for moms who have, terminally ill children, you know, I can walk into the room and say, I don't know how you feel because I'm not you, but I've been on this journey and I know what it's like to lose a child. And so even though our stories and our journeys are different, I can relate and you're not alone and I'm still standing, you know, and you're going to get through this. And so it's a beautiful time to just come along and support people. And that's the great thing too, about having so many photographers, like I've lost my aunt to cancer. I've lost my grandpa to a heart attack. I just lost another grandpa to COVID this past year. And then I lost my daughter to a terminal illness. And so, and then I've lost friends to car accidents and, you know, other things, but they're like, there are other photographers that have gone through losses that I haven't gone through, you know, people who've gone through suicides, people who have witnessed horrible tragedies like before their eyes that I haven't. And so those photographers, when they step in, they can bring their stories and their experience and their love and encouragement to people. And so it's this beautiful network of people loving each other and using our pain to support other people. Because I don't know if you've heard the phrase hurt people, hurt people. Yes. I really believe that that's true. And we have this, you know, negative pain cycle happening in our world. But I also believe that healed people heal people. And when we can step in and love people, that's when the healing happens. And so my hope with love not lost is that we can kind of combat the pain cycle in the world by stepping in and and really loving people, even in the midst of their suffering, 
And yes, pain is present, but it's not the type of pain that's going to overflow on other people, right? It's like, we can step in and in your pain and love you and support you so that you can heal. And we can all be on the cycle of healing and love instead of, you know, this pain of, of continuing to hurt people because we're hurting. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand where you're coming from there. One last question I didn't ask, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but I'm guessing that you had male and female photographers, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Ashley, so for the listener who wants to get involved, I know that you're only in the States at the moment, but uh, like you said earlier, wherever they are in the world, they can get involved. They can put their name on that list if they do want to help. So the best place to go is lovenotlost.org. And then if you look under the sign up tab, there is a, a menu item there for photographers. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that we should go to and check out? Yeah. Well, so lovenotlost.org, the website, definitely explore around the website. So the media and press page has a lot of podcast interviews that I've been on. It has the BBC interview that was done this spring, the TEDx talk that I gave on how we heal in grief. So it's got a lot of resources there. We have a library on our website for books. If you're looking for books to read, you know, we have a lot of fun stuff on the blog. We have some of our stories, which it hasn't been updated in a while. So give, give a little grace for that, but you can see past stories and then, yeah. And then upcoming events, we're actually going to have a virtual wine tasting event in October. I think that can only be in the United States. I don't know if we can ship wine internationally, but if you're in the United States, join us for that. So yeah, there's lots of stuff in our website. So feel free to jump around on all the pages and really dive in to explore. You'll see at the banner at the top, if you want to join as a monthly giver, that's where you can join the heartbeat. Um, We'd love to have you be a part of that. And yeah, I think that's it. But I wanted to touch, you know, you asked about the male and female, and I want to touch on that for just a minute, because we're really big into promoting equality, diversity, and inclusion. And one of the things that's so important to us is having a diverse group of people photographing as well as on our team, as staff, as well as on our board, who's directing our organization. Because again, if we ask the question, how can we love people better? We love by knowing. And so as we know people, we can love them better because we know their preferences. We know their personality. We know their likes, their dislikes. And through our own experience, we can love based on what we've been through. Like I was talking about before, like the types of losses that we've been through. So the more diverse people we have, the better we can love people. And so I just want to highlight that because I think it's really important. I know there's a lot of DE&I conversations happening, but I really truly believe that that's so important as a way to fully love people is to have as many backgrounds and experiences and, you know, personalities and and all of that, because I'm a very touchy feely person. That's like very extroverted. You know, I never meet a stranger. My husband's the opposite. He's like, don't touch me. I don't want to talk to anybody you know, like I'm fine staying home. The pandemic was the best thing for him because he like had an excuse not to do anything and <laughs> go out in public. Like there are so many different people in the world. And so if we just had everybody like me on, you know, photographing and on staff and stuff, it would, how boring would that be? Right. Like you would just be getting the type of love that I can give, you know, but I think it's so important. And like, owning who we are is like, 
you can love people in a much different way than I can love people. And like, that's been the joy of having a full-time staff member. Shoni is our key relations manager right now. So she heads over the photography program and the way that she loves people is so beautiful because it's so different than what I would do. And so the two of us together can love people so much better than I could just do by myself. And so I just think that's a beautiful thing. I love that. I love that. What's your husband's name? His name is Kyle. Kyle so does Kyle work in the nonprofit as well? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> totally separate. We debated on that and we wondered if he should sit on the board or, you know, what his role was going to be. And we we both decided that he was going to be my emotional support at home, which has been a great thing. Perfect for him yes. at home. Yes. <laughs> Ashley, look, this has been truly a joy for me. I'll add links to your both websites, Instagram and Facebook as well, so that the listener can follow up with you. Massive thanks for coming on, sharing everything you have. And thanks for allowing me to, to ask the kind of questions that I have. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ashley as much as I did. I hope you were, were touched by what she experienced, what she shared, and also by what she's created in Love Not Lost. Now, if you want to get in touch with Ashley for any reason, whether you want to sign up and support Love Not Lost, whether you want to become a photographer now or in the future, you can reach her via any of the many links that I have to her in the show notes for today's episode. And they are at photobizx.com forward slash TPX29. And also, if you are listening in the United States and you happen to be listening as the interview goes live and you're going to be at WPPI, make sure you pop in and see Ashley, who will be there at WPPI. She'd love to hear from you. Make sure you let her know that you heard her interview on the podcast. Again, many thanks to Stephanie Finnamore for recommending Ashley for today's interview. What a great suggestion. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And also a huge thanks to Imagine AI for sponsoring and making today's episode possible. Please go and check out this software if you want to reduce your editing time. You do not want to pay big money to outsource your editing. You want your editing turned around within minutes and you want to have your edits done in your style please go and check these guys out, photobizx.com forward slash AI for more details and to give their free trial a go. Alrighty, that is it for this episode of the podcast. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Photography Experiment podcast. Until then, stay safe, healthy and well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.